Hi, and welcome to Forest of the Future. Today we're going to talk about one of the innovations in FSE, which has been a very difficult nut to crack, and which is still leading to a lot of questions and a lot of debate. I, for one, had a lot of follow-up questions in this interview. We're going to talk about how FSE might play a role in providing remedy to people and to nature harmed, and how FSE through the process can open for certification of areas that have been converted in the past. To help me learn much more about remedy, the remedy processes, and restorations of destroyed areas, I've invited three key figures from within FSC. Kim Carstensen, our CEO, Salem Jones, who is the Program Manager for Disputes, and Jessica Surmer, who is our Policy Manager for Forest Management. But before we dive into this very complex topics, Let's start off by understanding a bit more about why FSC needs to start tackling remedy. Salem, can I start with you? Remedy. I'm not sure that everyone necessarily is aware what that word means. Can you explain to us what remedy is? Sure. FSC is using the term remedy as we are aligning with the UN Guiding Principles on Business and Human Rights. This is the term that the UN Guiding Principles uses, and this is also the term that we've selected to use to describe not only the process by which we identify harms of environmental or social nature, but it's also the term that we use to describe the process for counteracting or addressing those harms through the FSC remedy framework. Mm-hmm. Why should FSC tackle remedy? Why is that our role? Because it sounds pretty big. It is very big. But I mean, FSC is about improving forest management all over the world. And we've been doing that for over 25 years now. Through our principles and criteria, we have ensured that rights were upheld, indigenous peoples, workers' rights. We have ensured that high conservation values were protected, etc., etc. But we've had a whole area that has not been part of what we have sort of sought to improve, and that is the area that was converted since 1994. And now we're looking at that. Could we also create improvement in those areas through environmental and social restitution for harm that was done before that? That's what this whole process is about. What's the long-term goal in doing that? Damage that was done through conversion since 1994, and there's been a lot of that. I mean, we all know that the tropical forests all over the world in Asia and Africa, Latin America, have been converted since the 1990s, well, even before that. And what we hope to achieve is that some of those areas can actually come back into being useful for people, having natural values in them, that degraded lands can be restored, that compensation remedy can be provided for areas that have been turned into monoculture plantations. I think, Jessica, I need to understand how we might have that work. What is it exactly that FSC is working to implement? So over the last year or so, when we've talked about the conversion and remedy package, what we're really talking about is three different documents that work together to present a holistic stance on conversion and remedy for past harms. And those three documents are the policy for association, the PFA, the policy to address conversion, the PAC, and the remedy framework. And these documents work together to make some important changes, such as allowing for lands converted between 1994 and 2020 to be certified after a remedy process, for creating additional requirements for conservation in these cases. They work together to create a streamlined remedy process, 
expand the scope of unacceptable activities and change how FSC defines the corporate group and responsibility. So it's worth mentioning that the PFA and the PAC have been approved by the board. And now that Motion 37 was approved at the GA in October, the PAC is implementable. The remedy framework is in the final stages of development and it will be discussed and hopefully approved at upcoming board meetings. Okay, so you said a few things there that we need to unpack a bit. Motion 37. Not everyone will be aware of what Motion 37 is. Can you put a few more words to that? Yeah, Motion 37 was a statutory motion brought to the floor at the GA in October. And this statutory motion outlined the changes that were needed to the principles and criterion to be able to make the the policy to address conversion implementable. It changed things such as allowing for remedy and for opening the door to certification between 1994 and 2020. It also did an important step towards closing what has become known as the ownership loophole, which was the fact that lands that were converted but not owned by the owner that converted the land were previously eligible for certification. Now, because of the motion and through the the changes that these documents bring, the liability will really stay with the land. And that means that no matter who converted the forest, there will be some level of remedy that's necessary. Okay, so we now have three documents and they've been approved by the board. The motion necessary has been approved and then they need the final approvements from the board. What change does that actually bring to the ground, Jessica? Let's say I'm now a person living on a land that was converted. What does this mean for me? It depends if you're a forest owner and that you will now have access to the FSC system that you were not able to access before. If you are a community member, a rights holder who had their rights violated, you'll be able to have access to a remedy process if that forest owner chooses to pursue association or certification that may not have been available to you through like a judicial system in the country or the region where you're living. If I am a local community living there, how does that work? How would I know that I am to be heard and I am to have remedy? There are communication requirements in the remedy framework about how the organization or corporate group has to publicly engage those groups. And there are independent parties, in this case known as an independent assessor, who will work to identify community members, stakeholders, and right holders who are affected by the harms linked to either conversion or unacceptable activities. And through that process, rights holders have the opportunity to also identify people they know that may have been affected and make sure that the people that were affected are the ones being engaged in the process. Mm -hmm. So maybe I can ask you a follow-up question again, because why is it so important that we have an established process like the one Jessica has just explained to us? Yeah, I think it's a good question. FSC and management of the policy for association and unacceptable activities We have been engaged in processes to address these unacceptable activities in the past. But what we found is that we do not have a a system or a mechanism in which we can apply across the board to treat all of these cases equally. And so through this aligned and systematic process, we're able to ensure that we are covering the entire scope of rights holders and affected parties and stakeholders 
in the process and also going through a rigorous process of identifying the environmental and social harms that are stemming from these activities. So in this way, this process allows us to ensure equal treatment across all of the policy for association cases that we're processing, and also to ensure that all of the organizations that are seeking certification are also able to go through the same process. For us, it's in line with our FSE principles of, of fairness and, and equitability. Mm-hmm. So what you're saying is basically that we've handled remedy, we've handled disputes in the past, but we sort of made a process for it every time, of course, with some similar elements, but not the same. And now that we have one streamlined process, are we hoping that it will move faster as well? Or is it mainly just to have the same process for everyone so that we have a structure for it? Well, certainly it's our hope that through having this process that we'll be able to more efficiently anticipate what the next steps in the process are going to be, but also that organizations going through the process will be able to predict what their next steps are and what their process will be to remedy these these past harms. It is our intention that we have a predictable and and transparent process that these organizations can go through. Mm -hmm. And I guess it's also a a question of having transparent processes for other stakeholders so that they also know what the process is, how and where and when they can expect to be engaged and informed. I think that's also correct. Kim, we are with this process and with the decisions taking that to General Assembly opening up for certifying areas that have been converted since 1994. One of the key arguments for why FSC was so strong was because we had this cutoff date of 1994. We are also opening up for areas that are owned by companies who have a history of destruction and or violence potentially being certified in the future. Why are we moving in this direction? Isn't this a risk to the FSC system and our integrity as such to let these companies in? We're certainly moving into an area that has been very heavily debated and where a lot of damage has been done since 1994. I mean, that's evident, not only in in Asia Pacific, but also in Africa and certainly also in parts of Latin America. So it is an area of big controversy. But let's also remember that this is not the first time that FSC opens its doors to companies that have been heavily, heavily criticized by the NGO community, by community groups, and by others. This has happened in many, many cases that companies have come to us after years of criticism, years of campaigning against them and wanted to be certified. And some of these companies are now today respected members of the FSC community. And I hope the same can happen with some of these big companies who have been involved in in conversion. One thing that I believe is important is that this will not be easy for them. The remedy framework will demand extreme amounts of engagement, of readjusting to correct harms of old times, of social compensation, of finding ways to actually also compensate for the environment damage that has been done. It's not going to be a dance on roses for these companies. They're going to be expected to do a lot, and they're not going to come back until they actually prove that they can deliver something. Mm -hmm. Follow-up question. Are we also going to keep an extra eye on these companies once they do get certified? We're certainly going to keep a very, very keen eye on the whole process of remediation that happens, and that is very much part of the 
remedy framework. Afterwards, of course, these companies may or may not get certified. What happens in these companies that, that sort of are hoping to get into a process to end their disassociation, the first thing is that they may be able to end their disassociation and then maybe after that they can be certified. But that entails another new process where they need to meet exactly the same requirements as everybody else in terms of how the specific areas being managed, et cetera, et cetera. All of these things need to be done. I don't know that we're going to keep an extra eye sort of generically on these companies, but obviously any kind of instigation or any kind of suspicion that they are falling back into old habits will, of course, lead to an investigation into what's going on. Mm-hmm. This, uh, to me, is really, it's both very interesting and it also has some alarm bells for somebody who's been in FSC forever. And I'm sure it has from our memberships as well and from the stakeholders. So Jessica, I'm wondering, this can't have been an easy process to define and to figure out what should FSC do and how should we do it? What is the process that has led to where we are now and to these documents? Indeed, it hasn't been an easy process, but it's been a very important process that members are very passionate about. Motions on the topic have actually been passed by the members at the last four GAs, culminating in the passage of Motion 37. And along the way, members, stakeholders, and the FSC Secretariat have put in massive amounts of resources and time into crafting what everyone, I believe, hopes is a a balanced approach. More specifically, since 2019, there was one chamber-balanced working group, as well as two technical working groups who have been meeting and working on this topic. Along with that, that comes a normal series of public consultations and webinars. But even beyond that, there have been extraordinary data collection and engagement efforts to gain information and input so that members and stakeholders and the technical working group and working group themselves are informed on these topics. Mm -hmm. And what is the reaction from the members and from the stakeholders in this whole engagement process? In general terms, I, I chose the word passionate. I think people care deeply about this, and that could be they care very deeply about stopping it from going forward until everything is as it should be, or they care very deeply about the process has been followed correctly and we've arrived here and it's it's time for FSC to make that change. Can I add something, Jessica? Because we came from a situation of very, very strongly polarized views where it looked very unlikely that that we would ever get, you could say, to a common ground of understanding. And I think the engagement process that that happened helped members to actually understand each other much better and to understand where each other came from so that the area of common ground got much, much bigger. And that's what we saw, I think, in the final voting on the motion to change the principles and criteria to enable this whole thing. That was very important. And I think this is an unprecedented engagement effort that we learned a lot from. And I think it really helped this process. Agreed. To me, it seemed interesting that this process was unfolding over the course of the pandemic and much of it happened digitally. And then it seemed like a corner was really turned when people had the opportunity to meet with one another in person. Often the case, which is also why in-person general assemblies are so important, in my opinion. One of the things that I'm a bit curious about is what were those two sides before they started moving closer to each other? Like, What was the fear from some stakeholders and what was the call from other stakeholders if we're sort of looping them in two big groups? Like the ones who were against, 
Why were they against? Many of our stakeholders, and, and this is not just environmental or social groups, this is also inside the economic chamber, maybe are concerned that we are not going to be able to be rigorous enough towards these, say, big companies in countries like Indonesia who have converted a lot, who have shown bad behavior, bad performance in very many ways. Will they really change their way and will we be strong enough to actually uphold that situation? So that's sort of the view from those against, I think. Those who were in favor were very much focusing on the opportunity to create justice for the people who have been suffering from the effects of the conversion and also to create environmental benefits out of restoration efforts, etc. So they're looking at two sides of the same coin. I think everybody agrees, and I think that became clearer in the process, that if we can make this happen, it's, it'll be good. And that will be for the benefit of the world and something that FSC would be really proud of having achieved or having contributed to. But if we can't pull it off, then it certainly is a risk for the organization. How are we safeguarding that we're actually making sure that we can pull it off? We can call the stop at any point in time, mm -hmm. right? I mean, if we see that, no, this isn't actually pointing in a direction where this will lead to a result that we can stand by, then we can say, no, we're not going to certify this area, or we can say, no, we're not going to end this disassociation. So Jessica, now the members have approved the motion, they've approved the change to the principle and criteria, they've approved the basis for the remedy framework. What are then the next steps to make this reality? Yeah, so from a, a process standpoint, the performance and standards unit will work on publishing the policy, the policy to address conversion, along with an advice note on implementation and PSU, along with system integrity, work on all the steps behind the scenes that need to happen for implementation to be carried out correctly. And the effective date for the policy to address conversion and hopefully the remedy framework after it's approved will be set for July 2023. Okay, so from July 2023, if all goes as we expect, we can begin these processes. Correct. Okay, well, so um, how does this then affect the companies who have already been disassociated because we do have some of those. Where do they stand until then? And will they have a, a process that's designed in this new structure? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's a good question. And I might add to this also, we do also have a new policy for association. We call this policy for association version three. We have not only a remedy framework to address unacceptable activities as articulated under policy for association version two, which is the current policy for association and the policy for association under which this current list of disassociated companies have been found to be in violation. But starting in January 2023, we will then be managing also policy for association version three. And this will deal with violations or commissions of unacceptable activities starting from the 1st of January 2023. That sounds like a boring policy discussion, but it's actually quite relevant for management of unacceptable activities and the remedy processes that fall underneath those unacceptable activities. So to go back to your original question, will these companies, which are currently disassociated from the FSC scheme, be able to come back in to the FSC system according to this new remedy framework? And the answer to the question is yes, the remedy framework will be open and available to all organizations that FSC has disassociated from. And we will do this as of the effective date, as we plan as of July 2023. Okay. 
So now I'm a bit confused. <laughs> You'll have to help me understand. What is the difference between version two and version three of the policy of association? Policy for association version three looks at the concept of control of a corporate group. And so this is a different scope, a potentially wider scope of affiliation or of association that's used in the policy for association version three. I think the other important distinction between version two and version three is the scope of unacceptable activities. Policy for association version two really focuses on unacceptable activities taking place in the forest. And Policy for Association version 3 expands that uh, scope of unacceptable activities and looks at uh, these activities, including the supply chain. So looking into actually the forest product sector or the for forest product supply chain. It sounds to me, it's not an expert on this, that the closure of this ownership loophole that Jessica was explaining about it and also expansion into the supply chain. So let's then take an example. I've been disassociated under version two. What then happens? I go into a remedy process. Is that then the remedy process that was just approved? Or is that a different remedy process? You were talking about a remedy process two and three as well. What's the difference there? Really, the biggest difference between these two is that right now the remedy framework is serving for remedy connected to conversion and unacceptable activities. Going forward, harms caused by conversion will not be eligible for remedy. The policy for conversion sets a cutoff date at 2020. So there needs to be a version of the remedy framework which makes it clear that there is no remedy for conversion after 2020. The main content of the remedy framework, which corresponds to PFA version three, the newly approved version, will not change very significantly the way the process will unfold as to how the organization, stakeholders and right holders, how the independent verification happens. The content of the remedy framework will not change very drastically when Talking about unacceptable activity, it's just those important changes in scope, which Salem outlined about what are the unacceptable activities. And, you know, there will be in the phases of the remedy framework, which talk about identifying those harms, they will be identifying different things and who did those different things. These concepts are expanded, but I think it's important to note that it's not a completely different remedy framework. Okay, so it's simply just an expansion to cover the updated policy of association. Kim, I'd like to zoom out a bit from process and integrity of our system, which I thought find very interesting, but some might find it very nerdy. <laughs> and just zoom out and, and talk a bit, bit about the big picture, because I assume that we've started this whole process because we're hoping that it will have a profound impact, positive impact on our forests and on, on the people who are close to those forests. Can you maybe help us zoom out a bit and, and explain how this framework is linked to larger topics such as reforestation and restoration, which we sort of hinted at but didn't actually really dive into in the conversation so far? You can say this whole issue is about two big questions. One is who are we letting into our system in terms of who have committed what kinds of unacceptable activities and been involved in conversion over the time. So that's one big question. The other big question is, 
what do we actually achieve by making this happen? And what we achieve is environmental and social benefits. That's the whole idea. Remedy is about creating social and environmental benefits, and that is also what forest restoration is all about. The UN Decade on Ecosystem Restoration is one big example of where the world is moving towards in this whole discussion about what do we do with those areas that have been converted since 1994 or were also converted earlier and, and are now today degraded. And what we are creating with the new policy for association, with the policy to address conversion and with the remedy framework is our contribution to that discussion by means of having a way that people who want to do restoration can actually use our tools to do so, to create social benefits, to make good for old harm that has been done for people who lived in these areas, and by also creating environmental benefits in terms of high conservation value restoration or restoration of other environmental qualities in the areas. We're now creating a rule set. We're defining who can do that, under what conditions, and what can then, they then achieve. Because in the end, they will be able to get FSC certified, which likely will create some benefit for them in terms of their market situation in a timber market or in terms of their engagement with a carbon market or maybe also a future market for biodiversity achievements. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because that actually links a bit to my next question, because if these areas are truly degraded, they won't have a lot of value from a layman's perspective, at least in terms of FSC certification, because if they're truly degraded, the forest product value of those forests will be limited. So what is the incentive for them to get FSC certified? Well, I mean, over time, they can certainly be restored and, and either plantations could be established on parts of it or natural forests could be re-established in some parts, etc. Social benefit can probably be gained quicker than environmental benefits. But overall, these processes are going to take years and in many cases, even decades. But if we don't start, they're never going to happen. If we do start, they may happen. These processes are going to be complex. They're going to be difficult. They're going to be costly. They're going to take time. But what we create is a set of rules around them so that everybody knows what should be done. And then I think the benefit in, in the end of either ecosystem services uh, certification or in terms of normal FSC certification will eventually at least generate some benefits. And maybe even before it generates benefits in the market, it can generate benefits in terms of investments into these areas because many investors want to see some kind of certainty that their investment in the end is going to produce good and FSC certification is one way to achieve that. Mm -hmm. Are we looking into developing other restoration products or tools than just ecosystem services? The whole complex around conversion and remedy is one element in a bigger package, which then also looks at how can FSC contribute to climate change, ecosystem management, and also restoration. And we're currently working on what we call a restoration toolbox that will gather together existing FSC rules, including these. So the remedy framework will be part of that restoration toolbox, together with rules that may come from other systems so that there is an, an easily accessible, easily understandable and implementable way that people who want to do forest or other ecosystem restoration can actually go about doing that. Mm -hmm. And why is it that we need for these forests to re be restored? What is the effect that we're looking for longer term? Degraded lands are not to anybody's benefit. Degraded lands are socially not very valuable, environmentally not very valuable. And we want to and can achieve climate benefits, local social benefits, biodiversity benefits by 
creating improved landscapes that may then have in them corridors between remaining natural forests and can also create good livelihoods for people living in those areas. So before we round up this whole interview, if I ask you to look ahead, what is it that we're hoping to see as an effect from this new framework? And, and when do we expect that we will start seeing that if you're talking about decades? I certainly hope that we will be able to see the first processes to use the new framework started in 2023. I also hope that by 2025, as the next General Assembly, that we will be able to see not the first final results, but at least the first sort of achievements under the new framework that point in the direction of having new certificates coming into these areas or having uh, good processes towards ending disassociations from one or other company. What about you, Salem and Jessica? If I start with you, Jessica, what do you hope to see as a result? Throughout this process, we've had very qualified people looking at best practices and what we can hope for on the ground, what we think needs to be done to make this the strongest process possible. But We need to actually implement it to see what happens and to have data points that we can learn from and to be able to use those results to improve these processes even further in future versions of the policies and procedures. But we have to do that first. We have to take those first steps. And so I think that would be something exciting to look forward to in the next few years. Mm -hmm. What about you, Sam? What do you hope? Yeah, I share Jessica's excitement around the continuous learning aspect of this through implementation. I think this is really exciting work. It also places FSC in the center of this conversation around remedy of environmental and social harms within the forestry sector. I think this really is another instance where FSC shows that it really is the gold standard in voluntary certification systems in the forest sector. And I think from the implementation of this work, we will see emerging best practice that can be used for the benefit of not only forest-dependent and forest-dwelling peoples, but also for forest management operations, for climate and ecosystem services, and for environmental values. So this is really exciting work, and I'm really excited to be working with this team on the implementation of the Remedy Framework. That's it. Thank you to Jessica, Salem, and Kim for their patience in bringing me up to speed on this complicated and sensitive topic. I truly hope that this new framework will be a game changer for people who've experienced harm in the past due to forests in their area being destroyed, and that it will be a way to reestablish those forests. I also hope that the new, improved, transparent processes will mean that stakeholders around FSC will use the FSC system to ensure that remedy is made and that it is found in a just process for everyone involved. And I hope that this will be the first step towards FSC enabling solutions for forests and areas which are being restored and reforested so that they can regain their past value. And then I'm just proud like Salem, for being part of an organization which is innovating new solutions in times of crisis and which is not afraid to venture into complex topics where new ways of doing things require diligence, care, and a lot of thinking. This is the first time that we've seen anyone develop tailored tools and systems for the prevention and mitigation of social and environmental harms in forestry. And that? 
that we can be proud of. And then I just hope that Salem is right, that our work on remedy can be used as a basis of solving similar complex topics in the future, and that we will use this process to learn, improve, and continuously get better. The system won't be perfect when it's first implemented, hopefully in the summer of 2023, but it's a very, very good start. And there's no doubt that with the remedy framework in place, we've laid the foundation for increased forest restoration and we've managed to create the building blocks needed to improve the quality and access to grievance mechanisms for rights holders around the world. Remember to subscribe to Forest of the Future if you want to get notified of new episodes. You can also always get in touch with me on podcast at fsc.org. I am Laura Worm, and this was Forest for the Future.